God. Well, it is so good to have you with us today here at Celebration Church. Those of you joining us online, thank you for joining us and being with us today. And uh, I just want you to know you are valued, you are loved, you're doing, you're doing good, keep doing good. God just wants you to know He loves you. He's not mad at you. Amen. And that um, it's the enemy that is the accuser of the brethren. It's Jesus who is the intercessor. Jesus is always praying for us. If you feel like no one's praying for you, I want to assure you this. That's Jesus' ministry in heaven. He's ever interceding for us in heaven. And, uh, you know, the enemy, uh, if you ever have read uh, C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, he says this um, in that book. He's, he vividly begins to describe Satan's strategy, and this is it. He gets Christians to become preoccupied with their failures, and then from then on, the battle's won. If the devil can get you to think about what you failed at and hang out in that camp, he's winning the battle. In fact, it was asked, an assistant of Thomas Edison once tried to console the inventor, Thomas Edison, over uh, his failure to achieve a certain series of experiments that he had uh, set to find out. And he said, you know, it, it's just too bad, Thomas, to do all that work without results. To which Mr. Edison replied, oh, we have lots of results. We know 700 things that won't work. And you know, so many people are experiencing life and they've found 700 things that don't work. And I want to introduce you to something that works. Now, I will say this. This is not always easy. And it's not always the popular way. But it is always successful. And that is, if you will seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, everything you're seeking will be added to you. I told you last week I'm beginning a series on basically the kingdom of heaven and how the kingdom of heaven operates. In fact, many times when Jesus would share a parable, he would share the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he told the parable. And you know, last week I talked about the parable of the vineyard and how the landowner, the vineyard owner, went out at the very beginning of the day, 6 a.m., and he hired some workers, and he said, I will pay you a denarius for all day's work. And they were like, that sounds good to us. And he did this several times throughout the day until he finally went out, and it was, it was like 4 p.m., and now he's hiring some more workers, and they only get to work really probably less than an hour by the time they travel to the, to the vineyard, and they work. And when they get paid, they're the first ones paid. The last ones hired were the first ones paid, and they got a denarius just like the people who got hired at the very beginning of the day. And those people thought, hey, they got a denarius. We're going to probably get more. But guess what? They got a denarius as well. 
And we learned last week that those that were hired first were a little bit peeved. In fact, the phrase was, that's not fair. That's the title of today's message as well, but a little bit different aspect. Because I think in today's time in which we live, this feeling is permeating our society. That's not fair. In fact, there's a psalmist who said, Lord, I've been doing everything for you. David Drew, paraphrase. I've been doing everything for you. I've been living for you. I've been walking with you. And that evil man, he keeps sinning. He keeps going down the evil path, but he keeps getting blessed, and I keep having trouble. Can I get a witness? You know, I don't know where we learned the concept that everything in life is supposed to be fair, but one of the very first phrases we learn as a kid is, that's not fair. Amen? How many of you ever used that phrase? How many of you ever had something like this happen when you were a kid with your siblings and you came down to the last candy bar or the last cookie and your mom made you split it and you are confidently convinced they got the bigger half? Amen? And you got so angry that the only thing you could think of saying was, that's not fair. And what did your mom say in reply? Hey, life's not fair. Get used to it. And as kids, we all wanted to make sure that we got the same amount of Christmas presents as our siblings. And Joey should get what Billy got, even if he didn't do the same amount of work to get it. You know what I'm talking about? And our definition of fair is, I get what I deserved. I get what I deserve. I worked hard. I got a raise. Amen? Even bad things, okay? Hop in the vehicle with me. Let's go on the highway. Are you ready? You're driving down the highway at 90 miles an hour in a 65, and you see the red and blue lights, and you hear the siren coming, and you get pulled over, and guess what you get? A ticket. You know what? That's fair. You got what you deserved. You broke the law, you got a ticket. Now, the first definition is, I get what I deserve. The second definition of fair is pe- that people have is, I get what you get. Amen? Now, that might not be your definition, but it's a definition of fair in the society in which we live. After all, I mean, why should you get something that I don't? What makes you any better than me? Hello? And the approach that is that approach believes that not only should we get the same reward, we should get the same punishment. I mean, if we both drive 80 miles an hour, the punishment should be equal, even if it's the highway patrolman that passed me at 90 without his lights on. How many of that's ever happened? Now, you don't know. He might have something he's doing, but he just might not. Amen? And he just, he broke the law, and I should be able to give him a ticket. <laughs> it's basically the idea behind fear. You know what I'm talking about? It's either I get what I deserve or I get the same thing I get as, as you do, and that's what makes it fair. But some of your biggest struggles in life come 
when you are dealt what seems to be an unfair set of circumstances. You, you look at your situation and you just say, this is not fair. This isn't right. This should not happen to me. This is just not fair. Does anybody feel that way at any point in time? You're not going to raise your hands, are you, this morning? Someone that you love and you care about suddenly turns on you. That's not fair. You eat healthy. You work out. You take lots of vitamins, and then you get cancer. That's not fair. Someone you love dies at a young age. That shouldn't happen. That's not fair. You have a disease for which there is no known cure. That's not fair. There are those who have been faithful to their spouse for years, and then you find out they've been cheating on you. That's not fair. A child is aborted by someone who doesn't want it, while another mother carries her little baby. The 21 weeks and delivers her, and she lives 45 minutes. That's not fair. Some people lose their jobs. The past two years, People have lost their jobs because they weren't essential. I want to remind every one of you today, you are essential. You are necessary. You are loved. You are valued. But as a result, we're living in a culture right now. We're living in a nation. We're actually living in a world that is filled with resentment and bitterness and anger, and they are deciding life isn't fair, so if life isn't fair, then God isn't fair. And then there are those who go to the other extreme, and they try to make it your fault. Have you ever been a recipient of this? They say, well, there must be sin in your life. You know, when people say that, they basically say it is fair. I mean, you did this. You earned this. You deserve this. And you say, well, pastor, no, people wouldn't do that. They did it in the book of Job. Let's look at this passage of Scripture right here, Job 1.1. I want to lay this groundwork for you because I want you to understand the type of man we're talking about when we talk about Job. God said, there's no one like this guy on earth. It says that there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Now, let's stop there and keep that verse up there for a moment. The word blameless is the word perfect. I mean, when you looked at this guy, he would be that, that child that you're like, man, they just, they're just a blessing. I mean, they go to sleep at 8 p.m. and they wake up at 6 a.m. They don't wake up at all during the night. You know, they're just a blessing. And the Bible says he was upright. Everybody say blameless. He was upright. That means that he was straight in his dealings. He was straight in his ways. He, he did it the right way. Everybody say that's a good thing. Now, notice this. He feared God. Fearing God means you are living your life to please him. You are reverencing God. You are honoring Him. You are giving Him first place in your life. You are seeking first His kingdom. And He turned away 
from evil. He shunned it. He, he would not walk and live sinfully. The Bible also says that he was a very wealthy man. He owned 11,000 head of livestock. And church, I want to tell you something. Even in today, if you have a ranch and you have 11,000 head of livestock, you are rich in the economy of livestock. He had very many servants, the Bible says. He was called the greatest man in the East. And yet, he also has ten children, blessed of God. And yet, trouble finds him. It falls on him. And listen to what the Bible says happened to Job in the span of, everybody say, one day. What I'm going to read to you happened to Job in one day. Job 1, verse 13. Now on the day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, the messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans attacked and took them, and they also slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, just as he's delivering that message, here comes another servant and says, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have come to tell you. While he was still speaking, Another also came and said the Chaldeans formed three bands and made a raid on all the camels and took them and slew the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, now notice this happened now four times, now boom, 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 boom. While he's still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they died. And I alone have escaped to tell you. He lost it all. That is not fair. The Bible says he was a righteous man. Blameless, feared God, turned away from evil. Talk about having a bad day. Can I just put something in perspective to you? I have had a lot of bad days, but I have never had that bad of a day. Do you know why I'm grateful this is in the Word of God? So we don't get camped out in a place of pity. Now, I, I understand, I, I sympathize, and I can empathize, and I understand it. When you're going through trouble, you don't need somebody to, to just, you know, not sympathize. You, the Bible tells us to do that. If, you, if a, you have a brother weeping, you need to weep with them. If they mourn, mourn with them. If they rejoice, you need to rejoice with them. If they get blessed with a new vehicle... Don't be envious. Bless them. That's a blessing. Amen? They get a raise. They get a job. uh, Increase whatever. You want to thank God for that. But I want you to see something. We actually watched a video prior to this that talked about we are going to have trouble in this world. 
Let me take you to the scripture where that's actually found in the Word of God, and it's John chapter 16, and it's written in red. So, you know, Jesus always spoke in red. He said, in this world, that's, that's, that's not true. That's just the way we write it. You're with me, right? Everywhere Jesus, everywhere Jesus spoke, though, in your red-letter edition Bible, that's his words. I like, I like the red. I like to hear what it was Jesus said. Now, this is one of those, I've told you this time and before, this is not really one of those you're probably going to write in a really pretty crayon and marker and slap it on the front of your refrigerator. This is probably not going to be one of those you put on your bedroom windows or your bathroom mirrors. But Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. Look at your neighbor and say, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble. But notice this, Jesus doesn't want us to camp out there. He always says, but be of good cheer. Now look at him and say, cheer up. It's going to get better. And here's the reason why he has overcome not just your situation, not just your problem, not just your neighbor's problem, not just your kid's problem, not just your family's problem, not just your nation's problem. He has overcome the world. There's nothing he cannot do. With men, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. Problems are going to happen. But church, listen, when you get into a deep study of Job, you will find the source of Job's troubles. If you keep reading chapter 1 and 2, it wasn't God. It's specifically spelled out. Lucifer, Satan, comes to God and said, as he presents himself to God, God says, so. Have you seen my servant? It's kind of like, this is my son. I'm so proud of him. See what he is. Look at that. Doesn't that just bless your soul? And the devil's like, yeah. He's blessed because you, you put a hedge around him. I can't touch him. He said, but if you touch him, You take away everything he owns, he'll curse you to your face. This is what God says. Behold, everything he has is in your power. But you can't touch his life. You can't touch his body. And guess what? What I just read, what we just looked at, is the result of what the devil did. But you know what? Somebody needs to hear this. It was filtered by the Father. God didn't do it, but God knew it was happening. But he believed in his upright, blameless, God-fearing, shunning evil son. And he said, no, he won't. He'll curse you to your face. No, he doesn't. He said, The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what Job said. Now, he needs a little bit of teaching on his theology. The Lord gave, it was the devil that took. Are you with me? We see that plainly in Scripture. And we know the story. He keeps on going, and he starts to touch his body. But Jesus said in John 16, 33, let's look at it again, in this world... You will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. 
God wants us to live life in joy because he's overcome the world. And Jesus is telling us here that we are not immune to trials and tribulations on this earth. Every young person listening today understands this. Kids can be cruel. Amen? Man, I know what it feels like to be on the receiving end of words that hurt. I went to 10 different schools during my K through 12 years. And I can attest to the fact that life's not fair. Did you ever get called names when you were at school? Some of you have heard some of the names I got called. Let me share one with you. David Droopy Drawers. David Drew, get it? And I remember, yeah, that's not fair. Don't try that. That's not fair. I always wore a belt. My pants never drooped. My pants were not droopy. I did not have pants on the ground. But I remember going home, and I told my mom what they called me, and she was quick to comfort me. And she said, when she was in school, her maiden name was Torrance. And so they called her Torpants. So I come from a family with some pant problems. Droopy drawers, Torpants. Can I get a witness? Amen? You know, that's not fair. I need another donut. Where's my donut? (laughs) We carry the concept, though, of fair from childhood and on into our adult life, but it's not at all a biblical concept. In fact, the message of the gospel, the whole point of the gospel is God is planning to reestablish a relationship with man, but there is nothing about it that's fair to him. Are you with me? You see, the Apostle Paul wrote a letter called 2 Corinthians because it was the second letter to the church in Corinth in Greece, and he wrote that letter when things weren't going well. Life was not fair. And looking at the beginning of that letter, I want to take you there to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's look at verses 3 through 4. You're getting something out of this. I just want to share a few thoughts that I hope will help you in these times when life is not fair. When life isn't fair, remember this. Number one, you are not alone. Say this, I'm not alone. God is with you. See this in verses 3 and 4. Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, I want to show you something that verse does not say. That verse doesn't say you won't have afflictions. It does not say you will not have troubles. I wish I could promise you that, but even Jesus didn't promise you that. So I cannot promise you that. If you come to know Jesus, you walk with Jesus, I I, I will say you're going to go through some trials and tribulations. I I, I wish I could tell you that if you commit your life to Christ, those of you watching online and listening, that you'll never have any more troubles, but that is not true. In fact, even Jesus didn't promise us that we would have no trouble. He said we would, as we saw earlier. However, I can... Are you ready for this one? I can make you an awesome promise. Are you ready for it? That is this. 
You don't have to face trouble alone. God, let's go back to verse 3. Notice this. Who is the Father of mercies? He's the Father of mercies. He is the God of all comfort. Next verse, will comfort you in some of your afflictions? Just the biggies? All of your afflictions. Everybody say all. All. I wish, I wish we would grab a hold of this and see this. Notice there is a twofold reason here why God comforts us. First of all, He comforts us in our affliction. So secondly, we are able to comfort others in their affliction. Listen to the words of Jesus to His disciples. Freely you have received. Freely give. Lord, how many times should we forgive those who have sinned against us? Seven? No, Peter, I don't say to you seven times. I say 70 times seven. Now, we know it means however many it takes, but let's just take the number. In a day, this is what Peter was saying. In a day, if somebody sins against me seven times, what... Should I just stop at seven? He's like, no, you just keep on going. Add set, multiply by 70. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many of you, somebody has hurt you once in a day? Twice in a day. Same person, three times in a day. Same person, five times a day. Four, five times a day. Same person, 12 times a day. Same person, 100 times. You know what? We've never even got there. And here's what happens is a lot of times, the first time somebody offends us or hurts us, we cut them off. Well, I'm just not going to ever let them do that again. And it creates bitterness. It cuts off relationship. And the devil's winning. That's why it's so important when we receive communion There's nothing between us and someone else because it's not going to help anything. And here's what Jesus said. Here's how Jesus taught us how to pray. He said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And I want you to forgive me, Lord, the very same way I'm forgiving everybody else. Wow. Do we really mean that? Lord, I really want you to forgive them the way I'm, I'm forgiving him. And he looks at you and you go, you haven't forgiven him. I know, but I want you to forgive me the very same way. He's like, okay. You're not forgiven then. That's really what he's saying. Does that put it in perspective? And so you go, well, I can't do that. You know what? You're right. You can't. You can't do it on your own. That's why you need him. And that's what he says. I'm comforting you in all your afflictions so you can comfort them in their affliction with the same comfort you yourself have been comforted. You can forgive them the same way you have been forgiven because he gives you that ability. He gives you that power. He gives you that love. Amen? 
What am I saying? Satan is going to make sure that you have trouble, but God is making sure that you have comfort. In fact, when Jesus said, in this world we'll have tribulation, he instructed us by saying the last part, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. That means we've got to keep on going after him. We've got to keep on following after him. Now look at verse 5. Let's notice verses 5 through 7. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours, everybody say this, in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. If you got a bunch of problems, you got a bunch of comfort coming your way. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. In other words, if I'm afflicted, it's for you. That's what he's saying. Or if we're comforted, it's for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Are you with it? You see that? And our hope for you is firmly grounded, firmly grounded. This is on good soil. It's the rock. It's not on shifting sand. It's firmly grounded knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. Now, here's what that's saying. My trouble prepares me to comfort you. And your trouble prepares you to comfort someone else. You see, listen to me this morning. This isn't popular, but it's true. When you learn when life isn't fair, it prepares you to comfort It prepares you to help, and it prepares you to minister to others in the same situation. And your response to that, sometimes it's predictable. Well, that's not fair. Why should I endure something just to help someone else out? But let me ask you this. Aren't you thankful Job is in the Bible? Aren't you thankful Jesus went through what he did? Aren't you thankful Solomon went through what he did and wrote the Proverbs? Aren't you thankful that David experienced the pain he wrote, or he did, and he wrote the many of the Psalms? Aren't you thankful that, that uh, there are examples of those who have gone before us and endured what they did in order to help us endure what we are afflicted with today? Do you know that some pastors today have been bitten so badly by their sheep, they want to quit? And some have. I remember in one church I pastored being told by a church member, he said, you know, Pastor, you're a good preacher, but you're not a good shepherd. You know, just not very recently I had a pastor friend that basically a member told him something very similar, that he was a good preacher but he was a bad pastor. Can I just say to you today, the pastor is not Jesus. The pastor can't do it all. What the pastor is supposed to do is to equip you to do what you're supposed to do. So that means when trials and tribulations come your way, you don't have to dial up the pastor. You've got a direct line to God himself. And the Holy Spirit will give you guidance as to what you need to do. And I'm not saying you can't call the pastor. That's not what I said. But what I am saying is sometimes you've already got what you need. 
You just got to use it. Amen? It's kind of like a muscle. You already got that muscle. I just got to use it. And if the more I use it, the more I'm going to, if I use my forgiveness muscle, I'm going to be, it's going to be easier for me to forgive. If you use your, if you use your faith muscle, it's going to be easier for you to believe. Here's what jumps out at us at this scripture in this passage. Suffer so someone else can be helped. Now I'm going to start to close. This is exactly what Jesus did for you and me. Suffered so we could be helped. He suffered so we could be comforted. Come on, somebody. I mean, if you really think about it, the cross is not fair. In fact, the cross may be the most unfair moment in the history of the world. Jesus Christ, the perfect, sinless Son of God, hung on the cross, pain for my sin. Selah. Think on that. He suffered for your comfort. He died so you could live. He was rejected so you would be accepted. That is not fair. So what is fair? Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. That's fair. What is fair when it comes to sin? You should die. You should be the one hanging on the cross. Not Jesus. I should be the one hanging on the cross for my sins, not him. He paid the price for our failures. That is not fair. But listen, church, the first definition of fair was this that I gave you. I get what I deserve. Can I ask you this question? Are you glad when it comes to sin you have not gotten what you deserve? Because you'd be be dead. Second definition of fair I gave you is I get what you get. When I was a child and I fought with my brothers, we all would get in trouble. That was fair. We all deserve the same punishment. But in this case, you're the one. You did the wrong. Jesus did no wrong. You get off free, and Jesus dies on a cross. That is not fair. And when you think about it that way, fair is vastly, vastly overrated. When it comes to your sin, fair is the last thing you want. Can I get a witness? Because that means you should die. But Romans 6.23, even that does not stop there. For the wages of sin is death. And it goes on to say, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. It's just like Christmas time. If I have a gift and it's wrapped up and I hand it to you and you never take it, it doesn't mean that gift was not provided. It just means you didn't take it. You didn't open it. So I want to I I say to you today, every person that will not make heaven, it's not God's fault because he did everything he could do. He even wrapped the gift for you. 
He even said it's free. All you got to do is just say, I believe. In fact, church, I've told you this before on Easter, on Resurrection Sunday. What happened to the one? There were two criminals, two thieves, right? Both of them were mocking Jesus. Both of them were cursing Jesus. Both of them were saying, if you're the Son of God, come down off the cross. But one of them kept watching him. One of them kept listening. One of them kept getting attention of, 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 the, of Jesus as he would speak, and he would listen to him, and he would hear what he was saying. And he would say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And all of a sudden, this, this thief says to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That was his sinner's prayer. Let me say it again. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Eight words. Jesus said, I want to tell you today, you're going to be with me in paradise. First one to Jesus' side was that thief. But he was no longer a thief. He was a saint of God. Wow. There's a gift from God to anyone who will receive it. Jesus pays the price for your sin, and you get eternal life. Anybody interested in some of that? Church, I want to tell you something. You will never, ever find a better gift than that. We used to sing a song that goes like this. I, he paid a debt he did not owe. I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. You know what, church? You know what I'm thanking God for? I thank God He is not fair. Come on. His cross is our comfort. His pain is our gain. His death is our life. Read this last passage with me, 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9. We He says, we think you ought to know. This is out of the New Living Translation. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed. We were overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die, but as a result, listen to this, church, we stopped relying on ourselves, and we learned to rely only on God Oh, by the way, who raises the dead? That's, I just want you to know that's, that's God's resume right there. He's really good at that. In fact, everybody that dies in him, he raises them again at the rapture. Now, look close at this awesome promise with me. Verse 10. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. Church, this is where we are today in the world. When people don't have any obvious answers, they turn to God. Right now, we are being faced in a new way all over the world with what we've all gone through in these past two, two years to the truth of the fact that we need God. America, the great and powerful nation that we are, have been brought to our knees over the past two years. And we need God right now, and we need Him in a big way, and we need to rely on His strength, His comfort, His help, His love, and His power. Amen? So church, listen to me. 
We don't place our confidence in the stock market or the gold market or the Republican Party or the president or the Congress. We place our confidence in him. When life isn't fair, God is on your side. Say this with me. I place my confidence in him, and I will continue to believe. I will continue to receive, and he will continue to lead and he will continue to rescue. Can you say amen to that? Let's stand to our feet today and give him some praise. Oh, yeah, come on. Let's give him some praise today. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I just pray right now that all over this congregation and anyone watching online, if they need to know you as Lord and Savior, Lord Jesus, that they simply let you know they need you. Right now, if you need him, all you have to simply say is, Lord Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Forgive me. Just like that thief, he just said, Lord, remember me. God knows your heart. Lord, I pray that you would minister to every member of your church, everyone that are going through trials in their homes, those right now watching online, those in this room today, Lord, who has wayward children, prodigals, those that they want relationship with, those, Lord Jesus, that need to know you as Lord and Savior, Lord Jesus, those families that are going through trials and tribulations in their job, those who are going through marital trouble, we know, Lord, you're the answer to them today. We know that you are the answer to our youth, Lord Jesus, that that are being told so many things they don't know what to believe and they feel confused. Lord, you are their righteousness. You are the one who will stand strong for them. You are their truth. We need a revival in America again. And Lord, we need more than just the words of wisdom from man. We need the demonstration of your power again. And we pray, Lord God, that you would use us as your people, that you would use this church, this congregation, Celebration Church. Lord, you'd let it happen right here in the, 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 the sun-drenched, fiery realm of Phoenix, Arizona. And Lord God, let us be put on fire, set on fire by your Holy Spirit so that we can help others, Lord Jesus, receive that. Father, help us see our problems different. Help us see our problems as something that, Lord, you're going to walk us through and comfort us in. And, Lord, then we will be able to help those that go through the very same thing we do. So take us from this place, Lord. Help this not depart from us. Lord, let this be seed that is sown in good soil and it is watered. And it is watered, Lord Jesus, by not only our thoughts but by our prayers and through reading your word. And Lord Jesus, just surrounding ourselves with other believers that believe the same. And Lord, let this be watered to the point where it produces fruit. And we really do walk and live this out in other people's lives. And if you're in agreement with that, would everybody just say a big amen. Amen. I love you guys. Love on one another. We'll see you guys next Sunday. God bless you. You're dismissed. Amen.